Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. And I'm tired. And I'm neurotic. <laughs> and I'm excited to eat some chalupas oh, a little bit. We found the vegetarian refried beans, by the way. The dried uh, ones. Uh. tried the Santa Fe brand. They're dried refried beans and all you do is put them in a pot with water and like it takes like 25 seconds they're really and they're so good. And they have the vegetarian ones too. Like, yeah. And it's got all the seasoning in there too, right? Yeah. yeah. They, it does have seasoning in it. And honestly, you know, we like really heavily season our food. So we kind of doctor it up a little bit, but it's really good. Just pepper it in there, if you will. I know I just rubbed the side <laughs> of my leg and it was so, so loud. loud. <laughs> I was just telling Koal we need to make sure we're not moving around so much when we record because this microphone catches everything it does everything one of these days we're gonna have the setup where we have like the two microphones and it doesn't echo i don't know how people do that but i'm gonna have to figure it out because that's like a normal way to podcast i think that we're the like weird ones where they are the weird ones that do just the single microphone even if we do a dak live there's three people with one microphone so it can get a little crowded but at least we all have the ability to be heard (laughs) because we're all right here it's true. Uh, I think most of their microphones come with that little mesh thing that probably cuts down on yeah. sound. Well, it's really a spit guard. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. And I tried to do that too. Like in the very beginning, I think we tried to do that and it didn't work. Yeah. So now we just settled on the one microphone, but it's nice and it works. I think it works. And we've gotten a lot of compliments on our sound quality. It's true. So, <laughs> I guess it's doing the trick. The benefits of recording in a closet. Exactly. Check out diagnosingakiller.com. There you will find links to merch resources, all those goodies. Yeah. We have a new merch thingy that I haven't put out on Redbubble just yet, but by the time this comes out, I probably will. Ooh. And it is the sounds like a peach. She sounds like such a peach. She sounds like such a peach. And it has the peach emoji on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's adorable. And it's going to come, of course, with like this gradient peachy yellow background for the sticker and Ooh. then I'm gonna of course do the inverted so that you guys can put it on a black t-shirt or a yeah. darker colored t-shirt if you want and then of course just regular black and white as well yeah absolutely and then I actually came out with one too recently I don't know if you guys have seen it yet but it's a giant engagement ring and in the center it says dating with an x and then a marriage with a check the two would quickly marry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could put the two would quickly marry on the sticker, but I feel like that wouldn't make sense on a shirt. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone's wearing that. They're like, what the fuck does that mean? The two would quickly marry. The two would quickly marry. Oh, you just had to be there. It's an inside you joke. Had to be there. But yeah, you guys check out our merch. I've actually been getting a lot of questions lately on like where you can buy merch. So if you don't remember, you can find our merch link on diagnosingakiller.com. Just click on merch. You can also search us on redbubble.com. D-A-K-P-O-D is the name of our shop. Yeah. But definitely suggest going through the website because it's way easier. If you click on merch or if you click on any design, it'll take you right to the full website. Sure. And if we don't have that on our link tree, then we will definitely add that Redbubble link on there. I'm pretty That's, sure it's on there. But. Yeah. I know that the the website link is on there, but I don't know about uh, Redbubble. But yeah, definitely we'll add that so you guys can get all of the merchy merch. Check out us on all of our social media platforms at Diagnosing a Killer, other than Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. Email us. Live, laugh, lurk. Yes, I want that on a shirt. <laughs> Mom was wearing her full body heave shirt in public today, and I was really excited. It looked, it looked good. It did look good. She came home, and I was like, oh, you're wearing this shirt. 
And just lastly, before we do get started, because I know I'm really excited to hear about your case, but I did just want to pepper this in here that we got a new Patreon that is Louis, and I was really excited to see that. I think, like, this morning I was, I asked you, I was like, who's Louis? <laughs> like, that's Louis. I was like, oh, shit, okay, hey. But yeah, thank you for your support. He does have access to the Albert Fish episode as well, so I'm excited to hear his reviews on that yeah. one. But yeah, I think that's all... I got continue to send us emails and message us on Instagram and all that good stuff. We like to hear from you guys. Again, we're still searching for that South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota, where are you at? <laughs> where are you at? I haven't checked actually. We might <laughs> the person that's from there that's listening is like seriously like all of South Dakota is has emailed us. We I just know. haven't checked yet. Yes. If you're from Bermuda, because I know we gotta download there, message us. I just want That's a pen pal so bad. I want like 40 pen pals. Yeah. So just message us. I promise you'll never <laughs> annoy me. Send me a voice memo of you talking and we'll become best friends. <laughs> ready? Yes. Is everybody ready? Hang on to your butts. Oh no. Because we are going to be talking about a one Timothy McVeigh. Ooh. Do you know I who know. this is? I know who that are is. Are you sure? I don't, I don't. Like, I always say that. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't know the whole story. And I couldn't tell you what he did, but I know the name for sure. Okay. I've probably listened to a podcast episode about him. You'll probably realize. Okay. Whether or not you've heard of him. Oh, God. Is it like the Mark David Chapman thing? We're like, the name sounds familiar. And then I'm like, by the way, John Lennon. Is John Lennon dead? <laughs> is it like this disaster situation? Pretty much. God. I just am really bad with pop culture. Dead culture. Serial, cul <laughs> serial killer culture. Crime culture. Crime culture. Content warning. This episode depicts scenes of war, PTSD, racist groups and ideology, terrorism, domestic terrorism, including mass bombings. If this episode isn't for you, we encourage you to check out another one of our episodes. Remember, your mental health comes first, and we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Damn, another doozy of a content warning. <sighs> And it's, sorry to say it, but my case next week also has a lot of similar content. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to throw two of these at y'all at the same time. Timothy James McVeigh was born April 23rd, 1968, to parents Nore Noreen. Norween. Norwegian. <laughs> Noreen. Sorry, Noreen. And William McVeigh in Lockport, New York. I've never heard of Lockport. I haven't either. Is it like the fancy version of Rockport? Uh, maybe. Well, it sounds... Lockport sounds worse than Rockport. Yeah, Rockport's cool. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere around Buffalo. Okay. The couple were of Irish immigrant descent, and after they got married, they would settle in Pendleton, New York. Oh, this one's outside of Buffalo. My bad. Okay. Well, well I didn't know where Buffalo was anyway, so it's fine. Buffalo, New York? <laughs> I mean, I know of it. I just don't, couldn't point it out on the map. <laughs> just like you know of Timothy McVeigh, but exactly. you probably couldn't point him out. <laughs> exactly. We're getting the theme here. William worked as a, uh, I guess, like an employee for a radiator plant, and Noreen worked as a travel agent, or she, she worked for a travel agency. Mm -hmm. William considered himself to be a Democrat and often volunteered and donated to civic causes. Okay. Seems like a stand-up dude, right? Yeah. Sure. The community of Pendleton was considered to be very conservative, and it was an exceptionally white area at the time. Uh-huh. Very rural, a lot of, like, farmland and stuff like that. The only thing I know about Pendleton is that they make whiskey there. Do they really? Pendleton whiskey. Oh. Yeah, I've seen it before with my own eyes. I seen it. said it, too. <laughs> I seen it. Tim had an older sister named Patricia, who was two years old when her little brother came along, when Tim came along. Okay. Patricia. 
<laughs> Honey, can you be down, please? I'm trying to be, trying to be real here. <laughs> Six years later, the couple would welcome their third child, Jennifer, who Tim adored. He was always the older protective brother, and he doted on her like a little baby doll. Aww. Isn't that sweet? Because he would have been six by the time she was born, you know? Yeah, that's cute. When Tim was just 10 years old, his parents would go through a pretty rough divorce. Noreen had become disenchanted with William as she claimed that he was, quote, too domesticated for her. Like, he's not, like, wild enough? Yeah. Like, she wants him to be, like, feral or what? (laughs) No, I'm sorry. You're more like a house cat. I'm looking for a fucking alley cat. He was a Democrat. (laughs) You know what I mean? And she was like, ew. Yeah, you're not <laughs> radical enough for me. <laughs> Damn, okay. Noreen was used to going out to clubs and bars, sometimes coming home late at night. And a friend of hers had said that, quote, Bill's idea of a Friday night was to have pizza, watch a ball game, and water his plants, end quote. That sounds like an amazing Friday night. I know. Also, I know plenty of Democrats that go out to bars. <laughs> so what's the fucking point about that? <laughs> He's just too domesticated. Yeah. He likes watching ball games. Like, it's so like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's not Noreen's idea of, like, a good partner. It kind of sounds like she just didn't really want to be married or, like, tied down or, you know, settled. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she would actually just pack up and leave the kids one day, coming back a few days later to claim her children. So those couple days that she was gone, she was probably on a fucking bender, whether it was, like, drinking or with a, dude. Or with a guy, yeah, or yeah. something. Damn. Savage. The two girls would move in with their mother while Tim and William were left to the family home. (gasps) She doesn't want any guys. She's like, fuck men. (laughs) Except (laughs) for the ones that aren't married to me. (laughs) So Tim was always very sour about this situation because he had insisted that Noreen had said, like, pick which parent you're going with. Oh, hell no. Yeah. And keep in mind, that would have made Jennifer four. Four years old. Like, do you want to go with mommy or you want to go with daddy? Yeah, it's like they both squat down and see who she runs to, like those videos. <laughs> come on, come on, Jennifer. Come on, come I have on, a Jennifer. fucking snack in my hand. Maybe she'll come to me. Fucked up. Oh, that is fucked up. Don't, like, we always say this, but don't don't bring children into adult problems, yeah. right? Like, I hate that. So, seemingly out of spite, Tim chose to live with his father because he couldn't stand the fact that his mother made the kids choose. I mean, fuck, I don't blame him. He's like, I don't want to live with you. You're bitch. I don't want to go to the, I can't go to the bars with you. I'd rather sit at home and eat pizza and watch baseball with dad. (laughs) And water the plants. Fuck. (laughs) So this kind of worked for a little bit, but William worked very long hours at the radiator plant and would sometimes work over hours, like overnight hours. So he was almost never home. So he often left Tim to entertain himself. Okay. Tim would later say about this isolation, quote, I can't attribute anything I am now to any lack of my parents' presence in the home, but I do say that I have very few memories of interactions with my parents, end quote. Okay, that's, like, really fucking sad. <laughs> fucking sad. Mom was always out, like, fucking drinking the night away, dad's involved in the TV, yeah. watering his plants, I'm over here by my damn cell, probably left my own devices starting fires, perhaps. Maybe. And, damn, that really sh- I was going to say shits, and sh- it's really shitty, and that really sucks at the same time. That, that really, really sucks. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That really shits. That really does suck, though, and honestly, like, a whole lot of nurture right there. Like, yeah. I don't really see a whole lot of nature just yet. No. Like most kids, Tim became passionate about computers and the internet. He loved to sit at the computer and would practice hacking, and even at one point, he actually broke into a Department of Defense computer. 
Like, he was really good at it. From his own? From his own. Yeah. Uh, At what age was this? Uh, He would have been... Well, this is kind of... (laughs) Smack. (laughs) This is kind of in his teens. So, like, 13, 14, 15. Okay, but still. Still. His brain isn't fully developed yet, and he's hacking into fucking confidential... Like, what's it Mm -hmm. called? Um... Compromised information? Yeah. Compromised? No, just confidential information. No, I'm I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. Oh, well. He excelled in computer class, and he was super knowledgeable about programming. This would yield to him many accolades in high school. And, of course, being a computer geek didn't help the already tall, scrawny-looking kid. Oh, no. He was Privilege. Often- privilege is what privilege. I was thinking. <laughs> Sorry. Privilege. Privilege. Thank you. It was privilege. Privilege, privilege information. It was privilege information. <laughs> Although his friends would say that Tim took this in stride, he was often, like, joked about being very lanky and clumsy because he was just this wiry kid, right? Like Gumby or something. It's like me when I was younger. I was really tall and thin and had long-ass legs and I got called (laughs) chicken legs when I was in middle school. It's like you're a Great Dane and, like, you think you're a a chihuahua, but you're actually a Great Dane. (laughs) You know, you think you're a lap dog. It's so funny. His mother would actually rarely spend any length of time with Tim. Sometimes she would drop the girls off every once in a while so that the three could spend time together, but barely was she around herself. So she would just pull up and just kick the girls out of the car and then leave. Like, she wouldn't say hi to Tim. Ew. In fact, one of Tim's friends said that she thought that Tim's mother was actually dead, since Tim only ever spoke highly about his father and never spoke about his mother. Well, what would he have to say about his mom? And I'm he sorry, he doesn't even like, know his mom. Well, yeah, and he's probably embarrassed or ashamed. He's like, my mom left me. Like, I've, you know, why are you going to just tell people that? It's easier to just be like, oh, my mom's not in the picture. Yeah. And saying like, oh, my mom decided that she didn't want to be with my mundane dad. <laughs> it's mundane. My one. soup's cash dad. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I forgot about that for merch. Soup's cash Soup's would be cash. great. I don't even know how you would spell cash. Just C A S? I feel like it'd be like C A S Z. Cash. Cash. I don't know. I wanted to look Maybe it up. with like an X? Cax. Cax. Fucking Fucking soups. Cax. No, he's guilty as fuck, but he got a big ass cat. But he- <laughs> I think I said that so nonchalantly in my, when so I was actually doing the case. I was like, yeah, and he said he was, like, super well endowed, which, like, how the fuck do you know that? But still, like, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, what did you say? He's testifying against him. He's like, yo, you got a big dick. <laughs> big old dick. <laughs> how do you do it, man? How do you do it? <laughs> God, it's terrible. Oh, gosh. He's testifying against him, and he's, like, <laughs> hyping him up. <laughs> Not, like, take him to jail, but, like, take him to jail for that dick. <laughs> that dick illegal. <laughs> It's so stupid. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, Mom. <clears throat> no wonder what's your face? Joyce was all about him. <laughs> Joyce, yeah. She's like, Joyce was some, hypnotized. I've heard some stories <laughs> and let me just shoot my shot. <laughs> oh shit. So Tim around this time, of course, wished to invite his friends over like anyone else in high school. But the house wasn't in a great state because it simply was Tim and William together, but most of the time it was just him. Well, yeah, and William's gone all the time, so he's not, I mean, he works a shitload, so he's probably not worried about cleaning, and Tim is a teenager, so he's not gonna be, like, it's not gonna be, like, crystal clear or crystal clean when they come in. So he did spend a lot of time at friends' houses instead. Oh, God. He was sometimes described as withdrawn, but others said that he was very outgoing, so I guess it's just dependent on if you were a friend or not. Yeah, like who we knew. 
Tim was often bullied and would sometimes fantasize about harming the bullies at school. Oh, we always hear that. Right? Who doesn't, though? I mean, I got bullied in high school and I was like, man, I just want to, like, shove my fist through her skull, you know? Like, shit like that, because it's yeah. just, I mean, not clearly yeah, there's say, a point. You weren't like, let me go get an AR-15 and yeah. murder them. You were like, well, it would be nice if their ingrown toenails were really bad. <laughs> I hope they get food poisoning. I hope you stub your toe every day of the <laughs> week. <laughs> so this would actually become a bigger fantasy of Tim's after his grandfather introduced him to guns. <sighs> Hunting was prevalent in the area, and in an effort to connect further with his family, anybody in his family, really, mm-hmm. Tim asked to accompany his grandfather on several hunting trips. Okay. Of course, what grandfather doesn't want to teach their grandchild how to hunt to connect, especially when he sees that Tim is missing half of his family and the one family member that he is living with is not really home. Yeah, that's always really shitty because it's like, I'm trying to introduce you to something that, like, we can bond over, like, something that we, like, some families think are very important, but it's unfortunate that sometimes it gets introduced to a child that has been neglected, ignored, and or has a mental illness that no one has recognized because Mm -hmm. they don't pay attention to him. Because then it becomes a way of dealing with your problems and not a hobby or a sport for game or whatever. Right. And I bet that he feels like, well, at least he's getting some outside time. Yeah. A kid that's always on the computer, you know, it's nice to be out in nature and stuff, yeah. right? It's just, a, it's a hard situation because it's not, it's not anybody's fault at that point, I feel like. I mean, except for the parents, obviously, that are ignoring yeah. him. But Tim, of course, found guns fascinating at this point, and he soon began, began talking about guns at school maybe in an effort to seem, like, more tough or more powerful. And he had actually, on several occasions, brought guns to school to show his friends. And who was just, like, watching this happen and not reporting it? Like, yeah. even the kids, they weren't like, hey, by the way, right, homie got a gun. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's like, nobody saw, nobody, everybody came, everybody saw, and, you know, didn't say anything. Or, like, they did, you know some of those kids came home and they were like, hey, so-and-so had a gun at school today, and the parents weren't like, Wait, who had a gun at school? We need to report this. I don't know. Unless they were scared of Tim. I don't know, man. You know? But then he, you said he had, like, a number of friends that said he was, like, really outgoing and really nice. Wouldn't they yeah. be, like, the nice people to... Eh. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, who knows what his friends were like in high school. And you can he never really... Been, like, the rebellious kids or yeah. something. You can't really rely on kids to, like, do the right thing all the time. Yeah. It sounds bad. But teach your kids better is my point. Every time I say <laughs> something like this... Teach your kids better. If yeah. someone brings a gun to school and shows your kid, your kid better fucking tell the principal or someone. If a kid brings an animal to school, you shouldn't even fucking touch it. There yeah. was that bat, rabies bat that that oh. kid brought on. No? When, Gross. When I was in elementary school, there was a kid that brought a bat that he found on the ground while he walked to the bus stop. He brought At it on the- school? Yes. What the hell? In elementary school. And he brought a bat that he just found on the ground onto the school bus and all the kids touched it and they all had to get rabies shots. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Ew. Cause it was still alive. They're like, there's no reason why a bat should just be laying on the ground in the middle of the day. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. That well, not thing. the middle of the day, but yeah. You know, Isn't that they're awful? nocturnal. <laughs> so in the day at all. Mom couldn't remember if I rode the bus that day. I'm pretty sure. She was like, did you ride the bus that day? I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't remember seeing a bat. I feel like I remember yeah. seeing a bat. I feel like that's something that you wouldn't forget. Yeah. I'm assuming that everybody understands that I don't mean a baseball bat at this point, because I kept saying yeah. bat. <laughs> Get a rabies shot from handling a bat. <laughs> oh, gosh. So Tim around this time was talking about how one of his desires or his dreams were to open up a gun shop one day. 
So I'm going to open up a gun shop. Okay. That's what he sounds like in my mind. I have no idea what he, what he sounds like. He considered guns to be the greatest equalizers. He had always said that. He's like, gun is like, the gun is the greatest equalizer. Like, because he was this scrawny, lanky little shit, you know? I feel like we're doing a case on the same person. You better not. <laughs> it's not. But okay. it sounds very similar to my case. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Around this time, he also began to read survivalist handbooks and became obsessed with stockpiling canned food and water. Okay. And where are his parents during all of this? I guess his They're dad's at work and his mom's gone. But yeah. God, like... It just always amazes me when kids have so much time to do things like this. Like, yeah. they didn't notice this. You're telling me his dad didn't notice this stockpile because he's not paying no. attention to it. Because he's not paying attention. Well, he's not home. Like, yeah. You know God, what I mean? That's awful. And not only that, but you have to think about his mentality. Like, his mentality right now is that he can only survive on his own. Yeah. So it's being instilled in him at a really young age that he needs to provide his own food, his own water, his own safety. Yeah. Because he didn't get that. And I don't mean to say anything negative about William is the dad. William. About mm-hmm. William, because I know that you have to work. Like, it's not feasible to not work or to, you know, he probably didn't have a choice the hours that he worked. Yeah. But, like, talk to your fucking kids, you know? Like, make sure that they feel loved and safe and cared for and not ignored. <laughs> right. So Tim also became very politically, like, forward. He would often speak about how one day he wanted another war to happen or would happen and that he would essentially be prepared as a survivalist to, like, for this combat. Yeah. So he's instilled at, like, again, at 14, 15 years old that he must protect himself. And in a weird way, I feel like it's almost paranoia. Yeah. At this point. Well, I, it's, it's also kind of delusional because when are you going to be in combat? Are you, are you planning on joining the military? Because if not, most likely you won't be in combat right. in your life. So it's it's not logically thinking, I want to put my best foot forward, I want to serve my country, it's, we're going to fucking war, and I'm going to be the one that is smart and has all this shit. You exactly. know, it's a delusion. So Tim felt that he didn't really belong or feel that he had a very big sense of camaraderie around his peers, and that he essentially couldn't be, couldn't wait to be old enough to join the military. That's okay. something that he wanted to do. A lot of Tim's friends felt that the divorce had honestly really messed him up at this point, which we kind of just talked about, that he didn't really feel like he was a part of anything and that he kind of was looking to survive on his own or how he can accomplish that. And that sucks, too, because it's making it look like divorced parents can't raise great children, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, people can be... Don't stay in a fucking marriage if you're not happy, but do it the right way. Don't be be like what's her face that I can't pronounce her name and then leave yeah. and just drop the kids off without even saying hi to your third kid like that's not fucking cool yeah like, well I'm sure Tim also at the same time was like fuck you mom yeah you know? but there's a reason why he thinks that yeah you know so Tim was an exceptionally bright student as we normally see later on he would be assessed excuse me assessed and his IQ was actually at a 126 damn so he was pretty smart But this would not stop Tim from only doing the bare minimum at school, and it reflected poorly in his grades, or reflected in his grades. They were poor. He probably thought that he could just wing it and not have to study because he's smart. Yeah. And then just didn't learn the material. It's like, yeah, you can be smart, but you gotta know what the fucking test is over. (laughs) Prove to me that you're smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tim was able to have at least one successful or semi-romantic relationship it wouldn't last very long though so we only essentially ever had reports of a girl that maybe they hold hands in between classes or some shit but they didn't uh 
from everyone else's perspective and understanding, it didn't seem like it was a sexual relationship. I'll just say that. Okay. So it was surprising that Tim would put on his senior notes underneath his photo under his future plans as, quote, take it as it comes, buy a Lamborghini, California girls, end quote. He was just a big fan of, like, Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg. Yeah, No, that didn't come out for, like, years later. But they thought that that was strange because he was never really this, like, womanizer trying yeah, to, like, or, like this get at girls. Or... Yeah. Hmm. Very strange. But again, that's probably a delusion. Like, once I get to this age, I'm just going to be this amazing mastermind. It, it, it really kind of seems like he's never, oh, he's, of course, never been taught this. But the mentality is, like, I don't really have to work hard. It, it's like he doesn't have to work hard, but I don't think he realizes that you have to work hard to get things like that. He just wants it, right? Or he thinks he's going to have it. So it's kind of like, eh, he's not really, he's jumping a lot of steps. For me, it sounded satirical. It sounded sarcastic. Okay. Like, it was like, oh, I guess, like, I'm just going to grow up and buy a Lamborghini and have all these women, like, you know. So he's, like, he's saying it like he it would never happen. Yeah. Okay. Or that's what, like, society expects of me okay. type shit, all you right. know? Yeah, I can see like, both ways. I'm just going to go be the, a CEO of a company. Yeah, might as well follow in the path that they want me to. Yeah. <laughs> it's the real world. Just hack into their computer. I'll just do everything I want. It's the real world. That's like that 90s shit where you see it, like, in a movie and it's just... I'm in. <laughs> yes. He had, like, the glasses, like, the sunglasses yeah. inside. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, when you were talking about Lyle Menendez and... Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. So, I saw... I know, you have to say something, too. I saw a photo of Lyle and Eric Menendez. I don't know if you have seen this photo, but it, they went to an NBA game, like, after they killed their parents and before they got caught, and there's a photo of them. Like, the guy is, like... It's, like, a basketball photo, and it's on a fucking card. Like a... What's it called? Like Floppy? a No, like a player's card. Like a... Like a collectible card what is it called yeah like a collectible card yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but they're in the background of it on the fucking what? card no like, they didn't go to an nba game that night not that night but before they got caught they it was with what they were oh oh like i know what you mean that night but it was before they got found out that they did it yeah yeah um, i'm sorry NBA. for some reason i thought it was you were essentially saying it was like their alibi or some shit no no no, no. yeah look i just looked it up it's mark jackson and look there they are in the background that's crazy. And it's on a card. And this card so has since been, like, super famous. Like, they sell for, like, I mean, $150 because yeah. the Menendez brothers because are on it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So, yeah, for all of you listeners out there, I don't know if anybody's been following this or not, but I think it's Peacock that did a documentary about newfound evidence in the Menendez trial. Oh, yeah. Or... Yeah, newfound evidence. So under habeas corpus, they're claiming that they are wrongfully imprisoned because the second trial that they had... So the first trial that they had was hung jury, and mm-hmm. they did not come to a consensus. So they retried it, but they retried it without the abuse allegations that, you know, th- that they had said that their father, Jose Menendez, one of the murder victims, was sexually assaulting the boys. Yeah. Or had in the past, and that they were very afraid that now that they were older, Jose was going to have them hurt or murdered or put away yeah, in because asylums. It had, it had only stopped, like, what, two or three weeks before yeah. the killings? Yeah. And so now they're going to reintroduce that evidence, but since then, one of the members of Menudo, which is a boy band back then, who was under RCA Records, which is where Jose Menendez worked or was the CEO or the head of the company or whatever... Mm-hmm that this band member of Menudo has claimed that he was 
sexually assaulted or raped by Jose Menendez. Yeah, you told me that. And it was during this time that it would have been around this time that the boys were also experiencing abuse. So that, and the second piece of evidence that they want to introduce is that Eric was writing his cousin or him and Lyle's cousin like six to nine months before Mm -hmm. the crimes were perpetrated speaking about the abuse like essentially saying to this cousin you know you know how my dad is like essentially saying you know what he did or whatever and i don't know if it it explicitly says that or not because it's all going to come out on the documentary yeah but they've already filed for retrial under habeas corpus meaning that the boys are falsely imprisoned because none of this evidence was available at the time that's so wild honestly like you know listeners if you haven't heard that episode definitely go back and listen but i cried like during that episode like i was so emotional about it because it's so hard like you want to feel bad for the parents and you want to feel bad for the you know brothers and God, it just sucks. Like, I truly, truly believe that it was self-defense after the fact. Like, that's my opinion. People have different opinions, whatever. But I will say that now, with that new evidence, it's really, I don't want to say exciting, but it's really kind of... It's telling. It is telling. And especially now it's not just, okay, the boys were just trying to, like, save their asses, and that's why they just threw that information in there. Mm -hmm. No, now it's two, uh, if not, well, one, because the cousins since passed away, correct? Yes, the so cousin. Two, yeah, two people that have allegedly new victims, one of them can potentially testify. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. And the reason that they didn't, because that was my first question, was, well, if they had this letter, why would they not Yeah, they didn't, though, that? right? They didn't. It was only recently found within the last year or so, because the cousin actually passed away a month after he would receive the letter. Oh. So it was just put into his effects and given to another family member and buried underneath all this stuff. And so they were going through... Yeah. I bet Eric, when Eric heard that letter was surfaced, he was like, oh, I bet he lost his shit. Yeah. And they're both like married now, right? They're both married. Yeah. Successfully. One was, one is, um, Tammy, I think was the cashier or something, right? Yeah. I think that's, I don't want to speak if that's Lyle or Eric's wife, but yeah, one of them has been married since the trial essentially or afterwards. I know we kind of talked about this the other night and we'd like to hear your guys' opinions as well. But honestly, like I kind of told Kowell the other night, I, I won't lose any sleep if they get out on probation parole or or just get out. Yeah. I, I definitely think it was an isolated event. I do not think they're a danger to society. I think they have had a lot of time to kind of grasp and think about, you know, what happened. Definitely don't agree with what they did. However, I think that they were just as just the, I think they were victims in and itself as well as the parents. Yeah, I mean they were eighteen and twenty one. Yeah, they were kids. Like and I children. don't say that about a lot of people that are yeah. in prison. That I don't. I wouldn't mind if they got out. But I, I definitely. I mean, cases. it just it was just spiraling in my head yesterday about how we've never seen anything like that in our lifetime. Yeah, and if the if they were to have a retrial and it were to result in a verdict of manslaughter, they could get time served and they just could. be out. Yeah, they definitely it's been could. Twenty five years or something. No yeah. longer than that. But yeah, definitely go listen yeah. to that case if you haven't. If you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Go listen. It's, it's uh, been Lyle forty and, years, actually. Yeah. Forty years. Oh wow. Yeah. Lyle and Eric Menendez, they're brothers, and we did a case on them. Kowal did a great job on their case a couple months back. So go find it, and we'll continue with this one. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> So we were, where we left off was Tim had put in his senior notes, the Lamborghini California girls, that's what got into it, was (laughs) the the whole, 
our impression of Jose Menendez. No, that's what I was going to say was when he wanted to talk to his dad, he's like, make an appointment. Make an appointment. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> make an appointment. It's a real world. You can't just go to the doctor when you need to. Okay. So Tim had written, uh, you know, continuing this senior yearbook. Underneath, after high school, like what you're going to do after high school, mm-hmm. Tim put, quote, in and out of work, increasingly obsessed with guns, end quote. Increasingly obsessed with Increasingly guns. Increasingly obsessed with guns. Oh my yeah. god. I, I was doing that bonus episode with Lady the other day, I told you, and we were talking about, like, people that write letters to serial killers and stuff. The episode's already out, if y'all want to listen. But they were talking about how, oh, at one point they had sent in, like, something like that to a bunch of serial killers. Like, what's my, my favorite color is blank. Like, my favorite animal is blank. My favorite hobby is blank. Uh, my they person that? that I admire is, yeah. And Richard Ramirez filled one out. No, he did not. I swear to God. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. For Lady? Yes. What the fuck? No, 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 no. They didn't do it. Oh. Someone had done it in the past. I was like, why are you just telling me this? You think Richard Ramirez filled one out. He's dead. I know he's dead, <laughs> but I don't know. It was just, is John Lennon dead? No, someone Sorry. else in okay. the past had sent these in and okay. Lady was reading one. But Richard Ramirez filled one out and it said, um, I think it said like, the person I admire most is, or whatever, like, my idols, and he put Jack the Ripper, like, okay, (laughs) and then at the very end, I'm pretty sure they put, like, my favorite heart, one thing I would do for the rest of my life, or whatever it was, and he put, like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, kill people, (laughs) stupid like that, he's such a dick, or was, he was such a dick, like, Like, such a troll, like, yeah, he was a troll, remember, I showed you those videos of him, like, being interviewed, and I think I mentioned it in the episode itself, yeah, where he just, he just has this face, like, he he wants to he's portraying someone who's demented. He's not yeah. actually demented. Yeah. And it's very eerie to watch because I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse is that you're actually demented or you portray like you like want you're, someone to think you are that, just to scare people. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I've actually found it really quick. I just wanted to read it this last part. <laughs> My biggest regret not carrying a gun at all times. <laughs> it sounds like this guy <laughs> BTK. <laughs> Leaving the nose, the uh, needle nose pliers behind. God, favorite meals: women's feet. <laughs> I think in the lady episode, I was like, "All right, Quentin Tarantino." <laughs> all, right, all right, Tarantino. Oh, it's so stupid. And then, yeah, childhood heroes: Jack the Ripper. So stupid. childhood heroes. Yes, he should have put his cousin. That would be too real. Or oh, his uncle. Here it is: ideal evening, full moon, sex, and drugs all night. <laughs> Full moon. What? He has to become a werewolf. He's a werewolf. First. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, you can listen to more about that on the lady episode. Go ahead. <laughs> no worries. So yeah, increasingly obsessed with guns. It kind of reminded me of Randy Stare when yeah. he, he would say things like that just to wow people. Like when he would write those essays, and it would be about someone who would die at the end, and yeah. he was just crying out for attention. And well, yeah, like you that. can't tell if it's, like, a cry for attention or, like, a shock factor thing either. Right. It's like, oh, if they read this, they're going to be like, what the fuck? Or yeah. it's going to be like, oh, maybe this will get me, like, the attention that I need. I'm whatever. sure Timothy McVeigh in high school was definitely one of those people that you were like, at least I was nice to you. Remember I was nice to you, you know? Yeah. Ugh. It's like fucking, what's his name? I had someone like that in my high school, and I was always so nice to him. And all my friends were assholes to him, and I was so nice to him. I worked with somebody like that, too. So, it was terrifying. (laughs) That's not funny, sorry. So, underneath organized activities, he would choose not to put track and field in his activities or organizations, but instead chose to put, quote, staying away from school, losing sleep, finding it in school, end, end quote. Finding sleep in yeah. school, like sleeping like, meaning, through my classes? Like I'm sleeping through my classes, which was hilarious because everybody's like, well, 
No, he doesn't sleep through his classes. He doesn't skip school. You're deep, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Again, it's just Tim trying to be edgy, I guess. So Tim would eventually graduate in 1986, and around this time, employment at auto and steel industries began to decline. Okay. Layoffs and downsizing, so on and so forth. But Tim's father was struggling to make ends meet, so just do through labor cuts and mm-hmm. hours, things like that. Oh, so now he's going to be home more, so now he's going to pay attention to... Now somebody. he's got to pay attention. Tim remembered that, quote, you might as well just get a job at the local McDonald's for six an hour, end quote. He said that to his dad? He said that just in general about the oh. times. Like, you might as well just go work at McDonald's. Well, it's not his living. This would only fuel Tim's idea of fighting the bigger bully, which was the government at this point. Okay. Tim also began to read the Turner Diaries, and for anybody that doesn't know what the Turner Diaries is, I didn't, so I googled it. It was a book that came out in 1978 and was a novel about overthrowing the U.S. government after the main character and his insurgents begin a race war. Okay. Specifically in the book, they bomb an FBI building using a box truck. Jesus. It was written as, quote, explicitly racist and anti-Semitic, end quote. Hmm. It has been called the Bible of the Racist Right by the FBI. Jeez, that's, I mean, that's as official as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> what a title. Its author, William Pierce, which I didn't even want to put his name in because I was like, this piece of shit doesn't deserve recognition, but he was a part of the National Alliance, which is a neo-Nazi group. Of Super swell guy, right? There it is. <laughs> what a peach. What a peach. <laughs> it wouldn't actually be until 2020 that Amazon would remove the book off of its website for sale. Yeah. Damn. And it was, it's actually outright illegal to own it in Canada. Not even kidding. Well, they don't want anyone getting any fucking ideas. Yeah. It can be confiscated at the border when you try to go through the border as it's illegal to own hate propaganda and they consider it hate propaganda. That's literally so funny though. Like, okay, you're you're crossing the border. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to have to check your car for this book. For a book? (laughs) There's actually, Canada has a list of books you can't bring in. That is wild. Isn't that intense? That is intense. I kind of fucking love that though. So needless to say, Tim would become extremely critical of minorities around this time, specifically people of color, excuse Mm. me, and uh, of course he would become anti-Semitic as well. So he would be blaming them for lack of livable working wages, like d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-
So he just toted around a gun all day. Of course he did. One of his coworkers remembers on one occasion that Tim came to work with bandoleros around his chest full of ammunition. Like Pancho Villa. Like, bitch, you don't need that shit. Calm down. <laughs> Calm just the fuck re- down. <laughs> reminds me of Hot Fuzz. Like, it's just a joke. God. Have you yeah. ever seen the movie Pain and Gain? No. It's with uh, the Mark- one that rock Johnson. Mark Wahlberg? And Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Marky Mark. And I know then- the story because it's based off of a true story. It is. Yeah. I was actually, I was thinking about doing that uh, for, the, for one of our cases. But That's anyway, a really interesting one. Complete side note. At one point, uh, The Rock steals a bag of cash from an armored truck when mm. they try to shoot at him and he gets away and then he goes and he like runs into like a I think like a bus st- bus station or something anyway and he opens it up and it sprays, sprays him with all this <laughs> ink and it's so funny and then he goes like he like shows up to like his friend's wedding or whatever and, like Mark Wahlberg's like dude why are you green I'm like what the fuck is that it's just a really funny uh, scene I don't know what I said earlier but they're bandoliers I don't know what I said earlier I think you said that I thought I said, said bandoleros no, I think you said bandoliers. Bandoliers. Like a chandelier. Bandolier. Yeah, bandolier. Looking for a new perfume or cologne to match your style? Scentbird has got you covered. With over 600 scents to fall in love with, Scentbird is a fragrance subscription box that will give you plenty of choices. Just choose what you would like from their best sellers, activate your subscription, and receive your first 120 spray bottle. Click the link in the show notes now to receive 50% off your first order, as well as a free case with Scentbird. So Tim would often speed around in the truck while driving it and road raging at other people, literally shouting, like, begging for a chance to shoot people. <laughs> like, he would say, oh, this motherfucker does that again. I want to fucking shoot that guy. Like, Was, like, his partner in the truck, with, too? Yeah, with a coworker, because they would always have to ride in tandem. Yeah, so did he, would he, like, brandish his weapon, like, to show Probably. people that he had one? That's a felony. Well, <laughs> even if you're working for an armored truck, it's a fucking felony. He's been bringing guns to school circa, like, 85, so he probably doesn't give a shit. Just saying. I just think it's funny that, like, well, it's not funny. But, like, here in Texas, for people that don't know, it's legal to have a handgun in your car. You don't even have to have a license for it. But it's a felony to show someone that you have a handgun in your car. <laughs> it's like, hey, check this but out. <laughs> fucking handgun in here. Like, God. He just seems reckless as fuck. He is. He doesn't give a shit. It's not. It's, it's unhinged. It's not funny. It's unhinged. In January 1988, Tim and a friend of his would choose to purchase some property outside of Buffalo. Tim said that this was a dream of his to have this kind of survivalist bunker and a space to target practice. Okay. Neighbors target would, practice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> neighbors would say that they could hear Tim and his friends shooting and detonating explosives for hours at a time, day after day. Dude, I'm going to have to research someone else. This is so similar to is like... It? Oh, no. <laughs> shit uh, no it's gonna be cool it's just funny because we always like think alike and we say the same things at the same time with the same like tone and so it's funny that we're both doing similar cases within a week i didn't want to do this because well i won't reveal right now why i didn't want to do it but <sighs> by may tim would enlist in the army after venting to several people that he felt like his life had no direction and this was seemingly his only other option was to like 
go into the military. Okay. Which he already kind of wanted to do anyways. Well, maybe you could have stayed in college because that was an option as well. And then you just like True. For computer uh, programming or like cyber security, he would fucking rule it though. Guarantee you. He goes to the dean, he hacks into the fucking national database and they're like, here's your fucking diploma. Yeah. Like, (laughs) he doesn't need to take all the courses. You have to hack into the school system or something. And then, yeah. He's like, look, I am the FBI. And they're like, okay, here you go. (laughs) Here's your credentials. And a job. (laughs) Jim would... Jim? Who's Jim? (laughs) Who the fuck is Jim? Tim would thrive in this environment, as they usually do, because there's a lot of routine here, right? I say they as in killers. Well, yeah, and also, again, we said that, like, in the last episode or the one before, like, if you want to, like, kill people for, like, a hobby, then just, like, join the military. Especially, that sounds bad. become an assassin. Become an assassin, or become a hitman, or become a sniper, you know? (laughs) But a lot of people do choose the military because it's a legal way of killing people, and it's unfortunate, but it happens. Hey, I'd rather that than fucking, than killing people on the streets, civilians. True, yeah. So Tim actually found several like-minded conservatives, including Terry Nichols, who was like his BFF. Tim would quickly scale the ranks into becoming a sergeant, actually. So most of the qualities and concerns that the average civilian would mostly have about Tim's behavior was Mm -hmm. actually really supported and encouraged in the military, right? So it's, you know, neighbors would complain about the explosives or you shooting in your backyard until 8 a.m. in the morning or something. But this was kind of, everybody was doing the same kind of shit. Well, yeah, and they're like, great, you have experience. Tim boasted that he already knew how to shoot, and very well, and how he knew how to create explosives already, which seemed to impress most of his comrades. Yeah, no one was like, how'd you do that? They're like, teach me. Teach me, (laughs) yeah, yeah. help me out. Yeah. Furthermore, since Tim was highly intelligent, he excelled at any test that was thrown at him academically, And by all accounts, Tim was an exemplary sergeant. He just had one thing that was kind of in the back of everybody's mind that kind of bothered them about Tim. Just didn't sit well. That he was insanely fucking racist. Oh. (laughs) Which, of course, we kind of already understood because of the Turner Diaries thing. Yeah, he, uh... He's really great at making bombs and, you know, shooting things, but he's kind of an asshole. He's just a fucking (laughs) racist. Fucking dickhead. (laughs) He would give extra attention to white subordinates, saying that they needed to work twice as hard because, quote, if you're white, you can do better on a fitness test, show up on time every day, look perfect in your uniform, and if eight jobs are open, five will go to blacks, no matter if they're overweight, barely pass the test, and their uniform is wrinkled, end quote. There is so many fucking things wrong with that quote. That's what I was, like, all that, like, it doesn't, to him, it didn't matter. And he was, in fact, encouraging white subordinates to work twice as hard so because these black them. people over here are going to just take the position anyways. He was a racist piece of shit. What the fuck? He was once reprimanded for wearing a white power shirt on base. No, he was not. And when asked when to explain why he thought this was okay to wear this, he said that he had seen another man wearing a black power shirt. So he was just trying to, like, you know, make it even. Yeah. He's he, one of those. That's ridiculous. They should just stay in their uniforms the whole time so that nothing... None yeah, that especially happen. on base. Yeah. Like, well, I guess they couldn't can wear civilian clothes, but it just depends on, like, where you're at, I guess. Yeah. For this alone, though, it was very difficult to work with him, even for some of his closest people, um, other than Terry Nichols, because that guy's an asshole. Eventually, Tim was sent to serve in the Persian Gulf War in 1990. While Tim was serving, he would win medals for a shot that he made from 2,000 yards away. Jesus. He, He recalled, quote, his head just disappeared. 
I saw everything above the shoulders disappear like a red mist. End quote. He killed a person? I'm sorry. A person. Oh, Jesus. Like 2,000 yards away? It was an Iraqi soldier, yeah. That is so fucking far. Tim would later come to fully understand how underprepared Iraqi soldiers were at the time. They had very little protective gear and inferior weapons. He said later, quote, Saddam, if he ever showed up, chicken shit bastard, because of him, I killed a man who didn't want to fight us, but was forced to, end quote. He has a point. It's true. (laughs) I mean, it's, I mean, it sucks. And it seemed to really profoundly fuck him up. Well, yeah, that's fucked up. Like, I agree. Tim, after winning these awards for killing this man and being offered a spot on special ops, did two days of training, but ultimately quit. He applied for discharge, was approved, and left in 1991. Okay. So this is called diagnosing a killer. Mm -hmm. And it kind of seems like he's leaving the military because he doesn't want to kill people anymore. But this is far from over, I'm assuming. So that's kind of strange to me. There's a few things at play. Well, Well, yeah, of course. When he returned home, friends and family became concerned for his mental well-being, The experiences he had only fueled his decreasing mental state. Oh, my God. Tim had left the property outside Buffalo and had moved back into his father's home. Tim tried to go back to being a security guard and tried several different places, but nothing really stuck. Tim felt that the mundane highs and lows of everyday life were beneath him, essentially. Honestly, like, I don't get why we don't line up jobs for veterans. Like, you come out of the military, you served our fucking country, and we're not going to give you a job after yeah. that ongoing. Yeah. I mean, if you're dishonorably discharged, you go, hey, well, that's different. But, mm-hmm. like, just leaving the military, did my part, now I'm back, yeah. and now I don't have anywhere to fucking and go. And I'm suffering mentally, like, yeah. mental health-wise. God, it's fucked up. Tim had just experienced way too much for chatting to just chat, like, for chatting's sake. He just, in his mind, there were all of these things that too were going, going on. Too much going on. There's- and... He just became, it's like having a tolerance level, like when you're addicted to something. Yeah. Your, your tolerance for, you know, the, um, anxiety or the adrenaline or the, whatever you're experiencing is so high that coming back to just chat around the water cooler, like, no. And I guarantee you, he's also kind of thinking like, you guys are all just going about your fucking business and you have no idea what's going on, like in the real world. In the world. Yeah. (sighs) Did you hear that noise? It's like a growl. So he decided at this point he wanted to revisit his desire to open up a gun and ammo shop and began selling, buying, and trading guns at gun shows. And fireworks. And fireworks. (laughs) Where does he live again? Uh, Well, he was kind of all over the place. Um, Right now he's with his dad outside, uh, like in Buffalo area. Oh, yeah, New York. But during this kind of gun show thing, he began to travel more. Okay. He actually began to attend KK rallies. I mean, KKK rallies. It's like, what's what are that? KK rallies? <laughs> but still um, fucked up. But still fucked up. But still fucked up. In uh, Kansas, specifically, he would travel, you know, for gun shows and stuff like that. Although he found some sense of belonging at these rallies, he criticized the members for focusing too much on race and not enough about arming themselves for when the shit would ultimately hit the fan with the government. It kind of seems like he, like, okay, he's clearly a racist piece of shit, right? Yeah, of course. But it almost seems like he wants these people to, like, he just wants a group of people that are already pissed off about something so that he can, like, 
create make like them a more pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, like, make them more pissed off. Yeah. Like he it's almost like a cult ideation. Like he's like, okay, we should all be prepared for this. Like you're gonna be mad, let's be mad about this and let's all prepare instead of like trying because clearly he's probably preached about this to like his friends in school or whatever sure. it is and they're like, you're fucking nuts. And so he has to find people Other that than are Terry already, Nichols. Other than Terry. But he, it seems like he's just looking for groups of people, like I said, that are already like tight about something yeah. and then he's just gonna make them try to make them, like, more mad to the, at the government, I guess? I, don't I think know. it's hilarious that the KKK wasn't like, fuck this guy. Who the fuck is this guy? It was yeah. Tim- Timothy McVeigh was like, fuck the KKK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Jesus. <laughs> like, they don't want to listen to me. Yeah. Racist piece of shit. Yeah. So Tim, around this time, would also try to pursue a woman, but was quickly shot down by this woman. And it was said later that Tim, it was suspected that Tim was, like, he never lost his virginity, essentially. It was speculated later in life, because he was never actually romantically involved with any woman that anybody saw throughout his life. Do you think that was on purpose or on accident? I think that his mind was too busy, honestly. I think so, too. I was gonna say, like, I I wouldn't put it past him that he's like, I don't have fucking time for women, I'm not gonna get laid, because... Kind of make an excuse for it, like, I'm too busy to get laid, not that, like, I can't get laid, you know? Like, kind of, like, make it, like, his idea. Well, apparently on one of the trips when he was the security guard for the armored truck, that one of their stops a woman had found Tim attractive or something and had slipped her number to his coworker. And when the coworker gave it to Tim, he ripped up the number. I feel like it's one of those things, like, he doesn't know... It's like, oh, she's not hot enough. Or, or, yeah, like, he'll make up an excuse to make it his idea so he doesn't have to get rejected. Yeah. Tim around this time would start writing to local papers, government officials, and friends and family complaining about politics. He had huge problems with gun control issues and taxes, for the most part. Didn't want to pay taxes. Tim would eventually reconnect with his old army buddy, Terry Nichols, who had, at this point, settled in Michigan. BFFs. BFFs! I see you, buddy. Tim followed Terry to Michigan, and although he would say that he never really felt like he had a permanent home after this, he did, of course, that's his BFF, and they are butt buddies or something. Brutal fucking friends. Brutal friends! (laughs) So, yes, after this, Tim essentially said he never really found a home again. He just traveled a lot. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Why do I always have things like that that happen on on the air? (laughs) February 28th, 1993, Tim heard something come across his radio that piqued his interest enough to pack his car and drive south in a hurry. Oh, no. The ATF was serving a warrant on the compound owned by the Branch Davidians in where a shootout ensued. Tim, being passionate about the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, and feeling like the ATF had no grounds to pursue a warrant, he headed to Waco, Texas, in support of the Davidians. Obviously. Obvi. Obviously, that's where I know his name from. Because I did the... Well, I didn't do Waco, but I did Applewhite. Yeah, and I but I just... That, right? I knew his name. I just couldn't connect, like, where I knew his name from. <sighs> <sighs> He would post up outside of Wake, the Waco property, much like other protesters and counter-protesters, and sell pro-gun bumper stickers while waiting for the conclusion of the standoff. It just says, like, go guns or something like that. Or like it's just guns. guns with a thumbs up. Guns. One of the bumper stickers said, quote, when guns are outlawed, I will become an outlaw, end quote. <laughs> Timmy the kid. Timmy the kid. <laughs> God. 
He was also interviewed by a local reporter where they were filming the standoff. Tim said, quote, the government is afraid of the guns that people have because they have to have control of the people at all times. Once you take away the guns, you can't do anything to the people. You give them an inch and they take a mile. I believe we are slowly turning into a socialist government. The government is continually growing bigger and more powerful, and the people need to prepare to defend themselves against government control, end quote. I'm not going to get political here, but the funny thing is, is that what he's about to do is going to set off, like, a rapid increase in those events. And he's over here, like, one of the guns in the world, and then does something with them that is terrible. It's very interesting because... And that's kind of what I guess I was going to say about the whole army thing. I think that he thought that, much much to your point about people wanting to go into the military so that they can kill people, I think that he realized he was working for the government. Yeah, well, I think maybe he went in thinking he could change their minds or maybe influence, or if he got high enough, he could make the decisions. Yeah. But, uh, sorry. (laughs) But... Y'all couldn't see that, but Kamal was rubbing her sock and it was making a noise and I like, shh, I like <laughs> shoot, shoot her hand away, but I, <laughs> then I, started, I felt really rude. <laughs> I was like, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, maybe he thinks like if he can get high enough in the rankings then he can have some sort of say in like what happens and then he, well, I guess he did get invited to be in special ops, but he probably realized like, well, this isn't fucking working. Like I am working for the government yeah. or I become, I've become part of the people that I hate or I'm, whatever. Yeah. I'm just a cog in the machine. Yeah. Yeah. During the 51 day standoff, four ATF agents would die and 16 would be injured. Oh my God. On April 19th, 1993, the final push from the ATF would result in the compound being burned to the ground, resulting in the death of 76 Davidians, 26 of which are children, including David Koresh and all of his own children. Okay, can you explain to me one more time what the standoff was for? So the ATF were serving warrants under... So there had apparently... It's one of the biggest conspiracies, right, when it comes to things like this, right? Common knowledge. So apparently somebody from the Branch Davidians, from the compound, reported to authorities that there were illegal weapons and child abuse happening. And the compound was like a cult? The, yes. Okay, yes. I didn't the, know that. Sorry. That's... The Branch Davidians are the names of the cult. Okay. okay. Yeah. Or, yeah, the cult. I mean, I kind of gathered that, but, you know. So David Koresh was the cult leader. And okay. so David Koresh, so essentially ATF were serving a search warrant for the compound. But they brought in, like, a shit ton of tactical vehicles, a shit ton, because they had heard that there were a lot of weapons on the property. So they went to go essentially... Knocked down the door, I suppose, or whatever. Anyways, a shootout ensued. Four uh, ATF agents were shot and killed, 16 injured. But it took 51 days for this yes. whole thing to happen? Why? Because it was a com- it was actually a compound. It was like, and they had built this thing out of fucking steel, the Branch Davidians themselves. So it was it a took, big property. It took them 51 days to seize control of it, essentially? Or to, like, get through yeah, the whole thing? but essentially they didn't take control of it. They had this grand idea that they were just going to roll tanks through the front door. Okay. And the conspiracy is, is that either the ATF, the government itself lit the house on fire to encourage people to come out. Or according to them, they said that the branch Davidians caused the fire or the tanks themselves accidentally caused the fire. 
either way. I guess it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that it took 51 days when it sh- seems like it originally should have been something that was done in well, a it's few not hours like or this days. house. You know yeah, what I mean? Like uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's big. A, it's a compound. Okay. They also know that there's tons of children in there. Okay. They also knew that David Koresh had been shot because David Koresh was and had been on the phone with them. It's not like they just didn't know what was going on. They yeah. had been on the phone with Branch Davidians. They had been on the phone with David. They knew that David would that David was shot. I just slapped my own hand. <laughs> they knew that David had been shot. And so I think what they thought is that David was going to succumb to his own injuries and then the rest of surrender. them would just surrender. Okay. So the fire started and, um, again, resu- and that's why I just said the final push for the ATF would result in the compound being burned to the ground. Okay. I didn't say who started it because I don't know. Yeah. And that it would result in the death of 76 Davidians, 26 of which were children, including David Koresh, the leader, and his own children, which okay. I think he had, like, nine. And Tim was just there when it happened. I think Tim was back home at Michigan at this point, but he had gone down over the course of this 51 days multiple times okay. down to the compound and was witnessing this happening. Okay. So Tim was really beside himself, especially knowing that there were children in the building, yeah. and blamed the government, saying that the government had done this on purpose. When they were serving a warrant that shouldn't have even... Because it's their property, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Especially when it's tied up with the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, that he thought there was no reason why the federal government should have gone up on this property in the first place and that the government killed these 76 people. Yes. Okay. He was really passionate about it. <sighs> well, I can see, like, a delusion. Like, that makes sense if it's a delusion mm-hmm. that he's, like... And it kind of makes sense in general, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I can see that... Making someone upset. Yes. So this was the nail in the coffin, the government coffin, if you will, for Tim. And it likely worsened his PTSD and furthered his descent into, you know, just mentally. Yeah, and it increased his rage for, you know, authority and the government. You already said that, but (laughs) just adding on. (laughs) So Tim and Terry decided to relocate in Arizona. Tim had been researching nuclear test sites, and through his own predictions, if there were to be a nuclear war... This one area of Arizona, which is, I think it's Sledgeman, would be the least likely to be exposed to the blast. So they specifically moved there in case there was a nuclear war, because it'll be, like, out of the blast zone, essentially, according to their research. Yeah, he's a scientist. Yeah, totally. So a few months later, in July 1994, Tim and another friend, Michael Forte, were arrested for trespassing onto Area 51. A little later, a few months later... He traveled to Mississippi under the hunch that there was a government secret base there, which there was not. He's lucky that he only got arrested for trespassing on Area 51. He could have gotten fucking killed. <laughs> now I think they're, like, going to open up a fucking museum or some shit. Are they, they don't care. That's funny. <laughs> no, I don't think that they actually oh. <laughs> are, but they've released all those documents like, you know about what? the UFOs. Fuck it. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Just come on in. Might as well make money off you dumbasses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just have a dude in an alien costume, like, woo! <laughs> Here's my probe. <laughs> it lights up. You want to see? <laughs> These are all the cow organs I cultivated over the last 25, 60 years. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Don't they like turn cows inside out or something? I have That's like no the whole idea. thing, no? Have you seen right. the Jimmy Neutron movie? No. When he's like, when they go to the, their parents get kidnapped by aliens because Jimmy like tries to communicate with aliens Mm-mm. and then they're like, oh, they look delicious. So they take all the parents and then the kids go into space to rescue them. Anyway, but the aliens are 
eggs. Like, they're in, like, an egg, like, shell, and they just have eyeballs. They're, like, goopy on the bottom, and they just have <laughs> eyeballs that stick up. And the king's... Uh, I think it's one of the guys... He's, like, the king's brother or something, so, like, he has to kind of be around, but, like, he's not really, like, very bright. Mm-hmm. And his name's Ublar. And me and Dana always talk about it when he's, like... <clears throat> Excuse me. They send like they have like a toaster or something, and they they steal it. He's like, "Oh, what's this from?" It came. He's like, "Oh, it came from that planet." And he goes, "Hello, what species are you?" And he's like, "Oblar." And it pops up, and he's like, "Oblar, it's toast." And he's like talking to it. He's like, "Where is your leader?" It's it's fucking funny for those people that have seen. No, the I haven't movie, seen that. Thanks. For those people that have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It was funny. Anyway, go ahead. Croissant. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there was no Mississippi military, secret military base. So again, this is just to show you that Tim is becoming obsessed, if he wasn't before, about government things. He's traveling all over the U.S. to, like, catch the government. Well, it's delusional. Like, yeah. it, it's just... Go ahead. <laughs> so by the time that September rolled around, Tim began plotting, with the help of Terry, what would be the worst domestic terrorist attack in the U.S. history. What... So September, right? This was likely around the f- time that Tim would find out that one of the strictest bans on assault rifles so far had just been passed as well. Oh, okay. So it just infuriated Tim and Terry. He's like, we got to do something about this before we can't. These knuckleheads. There are plenty of documents out there telling you how they accomplished the next process of this crime, but I am not here to be a manual for anyone, so I'm not going to go over it. But let's just say the two began collecting over a decent amount over a decent amount of time ingredients to build a wumbo jumbo bomb wumbo jumbo a bomb so massive it took over 5000 pounds of ammonium nitrate and uh nitromethane 5000 pounds this makes jack gilbert graham look like a fucking pussy puss yeah oh my god that's a lot it's a lot and How it would take how big was it physically uh, the size of a truck jesus <laughs> do you know this story So it took six months to plot, test, and plan, traveling several times to Oklahoma City to scope out its target, the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. The target was picked because not only did it did a lot of federal agents work in the building, but Tim specifically wanted to target ATF agents he knew that were working in the building. Even though they probably had nothing to do with the Waco thing. No, absolutely not. But this would be in retaliation for the perceived crimes against the Davidians and the American people in general. On April 19th, 1995, Tim packed up a Ryder moving truck full of explosives. Tim chose this date as it would mark the two-year anniversary of the Waco incident. Two year? Two years. Okay. Yeah. And also, sorry, really quick, do you think this is, a, like, a folly ado kind of situation with Terry, or do you think Terry's Ooh. just an asshole? You know what? That's a good question. Because this is clearly a delusion that, yeah. he, that Tim is experiencing. And do you Terry's think along that Terry for the ride. is believing the delusion and going along with it, or do you think he's just like, fuck yeah, let's kill some people? You I know don't what I mean? know. I mean, they did meet in the army, and I don't know, maybe they thought it was, like, this serendipitous thing, you know, how yeah. they think about that, like, tea and dough. I'd be know? interested to know if that's what yeah. that was. So he drove to the Murrah Federal Building located in downtown Oklahoma City. Before he reached the building about one block away, Tim pulled over to light a fuse to the bomb. It would give him just under two minutes to walk away from the scene. I mean, you mean run away from the scene? Jesus Christ. He pulled up in front of the building and parked directly in front of it on the north side. He swiftly got out and began to walk away from the scene. At 9.02 a.m., just as the workday was to start for the employees at the Murrah building, the massive bomb went off, instantly destroying a third of the building. 
168 people would be killed in the blast. What Timothy McVeigh did not know at the time was that a daycare was actually located on the second floor. Oh my god. And 19 children would be killed. What a fucking dumbass. I hope he feels like shit, because he was like, oh, they killed children, they killed children. Exactly. Fucking does the same thing. Irony was not lost on McVeigh later, as the thoughts of the Davidian compound and witnessing the children lost in the fire haunted him on most nights. Good. McVeigh would later state that if he knew this information, he likely would have chosen another building to attack, which I don't believe. I don't believe either, and also, like, it doesn't fucking matter. You still were trying to kill people. Also, I just realized this is the Oklahoma City bombing. That's <laughs> usually the case for me. I just realized towards the end. <laughs> you have case amnesia. I don't That's get- so funny. I do. I don't get the luxury of clicking on the podcast with the title already there. I have to true. type in the title after we're done recording. <laughs> <That's> so true. <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe that for a second, especially since him and Terry were already going to and from Oklahoma to stake it out. Yeah, You're there was me too much planning involved. They, yeah, they planned for six months, and you tell me you didn't know that there was a daycare located on the second yeah. floor? The second floor. He didn't fucking care. And where, and they parked on the north side, where the dare, daycare was located. No, it was, no. it's, I think that he knew it was there, and I think he specifically put that truck on that side of the building to kill those children, to make the government feel badly about what they did to the Davidians. I agree. And, oh, your ATF, if anybody survived, maybe their kid died and then they'll feel, I'll get them that way or whatever. Yeah. 684 people would sustain injuries. God. Over 300 other buildings were also damaged in the blast. Of course, most criminals we cover are not the brightest. Mm -hmm. So some witnesses gave descriptions of the man swiftly walking away from the rider truck. Yeah, I saw this guy, like, bulleting away. I saw this from guy just, like, truck. and he was running like a... Yeah. Like, he was running like Gumby. <laughs> he had really long limbs. He had really long very limbs. Very awkward dude. He was very white, very tall. <laughs> he was wearing a shirt that said white power. I don't know if he gives anything away. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So police quickly located the axle of the rider truck that still lay in the middle of the road where the truck was parked. Not in the middle of the road, but on the sidewalk-ish. Damn. And of course, so it was, yeah, the axle was sitting it just, like, right where the- just shoved into the ground. Yeah. yeah. And like, just the truck itself was completely decimated. <laughs> of course. Oui. Of course, this axle had a model number on it. And they went to locate the rental truck place, uh, like, just rental truck places with the cons composite sketch from mm -hmm. the witnesses. And the manager at the rental truck place positively identified the man as someone who rented a truck from her earlier that morning at 8 a.m. Oh, She's like, that looks similar to the guy that I rented. Mean, yeah, that truck, too, at yeah, 8 a.m. He signed in. Here's his name and his phone number. <laughs> well, the truck was rented to a one Robert Kling, which I wonder if that meant something to him. Doubt it. But he actually used the address of the hotel he was staying at while he was in Oklahoma. No, uh, yeah, in Oklahoma. Jesus. Yeah. Which is cute. Well, he thinks that if he uses an alias, then the address address doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah the exactly. address doesn't the matter. Address doesn't matter. <laughs> so South Dakota, I still looking at you. <laughs> they went to the hotel manager, and she positively identified the individual as Timothy McVeigh from the sketch. That's hilarious. She's like, yeah, that dude was totally checked in here, but he's already left. He left this morning at 8 a.m. He was also with another guy named Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> Terry was kidding. actually not here at the time, by the way. No. It wasn't Terry Bradshaw, by the way. That was a, it was, that was a bad joke. <laughs> scary, Terry. Scary, Terry. Meanwhile, state trooper Charlie Hanger was on 
traffic patrol on the border of Oklahoma and Kansas when a yellow 1977 Mercury Marquis zoomed past him, speeding with no license plate. You're going to speed away from the crime. He's trying to get away. Like, you're <laughs> going to go, gotta go, get... Gotta go. If, even if you get pulled over, like, why are you speeding? Like, you're going to get some sort of recognition. I think it was slight. I think it was like eight over, ten over, but still. Well, luckily he was. The trooper pulled the car over and asked the man to step out of the vehicle as soon as he noticed that a bulky item was sitting in the man's waistband. <laughs> the shirt that the man was wearing said, Sick Semper Tyrannus, which are the same words that John Wilkes Booth shouted before assassinating Lincoln. Fucking poetic. <laughs> natural selection. Yeah, I was gonna say, it reminds me of that <laughs> yeah, natural fucking selection. dude, Randy Stare. Ugh. He had three of them. He did, and he would. That's all he ever. His closet probably looked like Doug Funny's, which is the same outfit. Doug, the that Nickelodeon show. Doug. Oh, oh yeah, I know those. Okay, okay. The man was then arrested, as his concealed carry license was good for Kansas, but not Oklahoma. Hello. The man would be later identified as Timothy McVeigh. McVeigh was arrested just ninety minutes after the bombing. Sorry, idiot. It took you six months to plan it. It took you an hour and a half to get caught. This was like 10 minutes after he left, like the fucking, I don't know. God. Dum dum. Terry Nichols would actually turn himself in once he found out that McVeigh was being held on federal charges. So he was just like, I helped. Okay, that makes me think it's folly ado, because mm-hmm. as soon as he's away from the guy, his delusions go away. Or he just was so, fe- like, he was like, oh, if he's there, I must go too, you know, because they would just follow each other. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. Like, I feel like if he was still delusional, he'd be like, oh, okay, like, yeah, we did it. Like, we gotta, I don't know. But it makes me think that he's now thinking more clearly because he's, he's not having not him right next to him yeah. to influence him. Yeah. Fortier and his partner would also give information. So Fortier was the guy that went to Area 51 with Tim that one time. Okay. And his partner, I think it was his wife. They would actually come forward with information regarding their knowledge of what was to transpire. Okay. They essentially cut a deal to testify against McVeigh and Nichols. And I don't think that any charges were brought up against Fortier. Here. Good for them for saying something. Yeah, I mean, they could have said something much earlier. No, Apparently, for sure. they knew about the bombings. Sure. <laughs> McVeigh and Nichols were eventually charged with conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction, use of a weapon of mass destruction, destruction with the use of explosives, and eight counts of first degree murder for the deaths of law enforcement officers that were serving the building at the time that passed. Did they get second degree for the kiddos? They actually didn't charge anybody for the 160 other people specifically i don't i don't remember specifically why they didn't i think it's just because they already knew that this was this would include the deaths of all these people not specifically each count yeah and also they made it very clear in their statements and probably with the witness testimony or the the character witnesses of the people that they were targeting law enforcement, so maybe that's why, because it was, like, the most concrete evidence that yeah. everyone else that got injured or killed that wasn't law enforcement, they was might not have had a strong enough case just a against. casualty. Yeah. yeah, exactly. McVeigh tried to convince his defense to use the necessity defense, stating that this bombing was a necessity after the government perpetrated Ruby Ridge and Waco. Two years prior, 
Yeah, it's a fucking necessity. If it was a necessity, it would have happened right afterwards, wouldn't it? That's what he's saying. Like, he's just saying because, like, in order to wake people up, like, he's doing no, this for the people. that's such a fucking cop It's out. necessary it, for retaliation against, you know, government because no. of, yeah, Ruby Ridge and Waco and, yeah. That's someone that doesn't want to doesn't want to take accountability for his actions. Of course. Opening statements began April 24th, 1997, two years after the bombing. On June 2nd, 1997, McVeigh was found guilty on all charges and would be sentenced to death. Good. Nichols was found guilty on his charges of conspiracy and manslaughter of the eight officers, but would be spared the death penalty. So essentially, he conspired, but he wasn't there to, like, actually go through with the act. Yeah. But he knew about it, and he didn't do anything about it, so it's manslaughter. I mean, association, yeah. Guilty by association. McVeigh's team tried to appeal the death penalty, but it was quickly denied, March 8th, 1999. McVeigh then asked the Supreme Courts for approval to have his execution be televised, but this was also denied. Damn. He was like, if I'm gonna go out... He wanted it to be televised? Yes, he he wanted it. Wow. He wanted it to be televised. He appealed to the Supreme Court and said, I want my execution to be televised. Because he didn't fucking give a shit about anything else except for himself, and he wanted to become famous. He wanted to make a fucking statement. No, it's so stupid. No, if anything, we should kill him with no one else in the room so that he doesn't get any So he dies alone. God. (laughs) Rest in distress. (laughs) But seriously, though. Both McVeigh and Nichols were housed in the USP Florence facility in Colorado, or what is known as the Bombers Row. Oh my as god. Ted Kaczynski, Louis Felipe, and Ramsey Youssef were all located in the same facility at the same time. Bombers Row. I feel like that would be extra dangerous. You're getting all of these Put them all together. together. Well, like- the, one of them blows up the place, and they're going to take care of it. Actually, a good point. It's <laughs> fucked up. Touché. So McVeigh would eventually be moved to the Terre House in Indiana in 1999. McVeigh forfeited all of his appeals and asked for his execution to be expedited. Again, doesn't want to take accountability. No. If he's like, fuck it, I'm in prison, just kill me. I might as well be dead because I'm not going to fucking sit here for the rest of my life and think about what I had, what I did. Just kill me. Just kill me. I don't on, even want to last On now. television. Just kill me. On television. Eventually, the courts landed on June 11th, 2001. McVeigh's last two meals consisted of chocolate chip ice cream. His final words were to be the poem Evictus by William Ernest Henley. The poem goes as such. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. End quote. He thinks he's so fucking deep. <laughs> and he's so original. Like, he's, oh, this, is, this will make people think. Fuck off. Like, ugh. Ew. On June 11th, 2001, Timothy McVeigh died by lethal injection at 7.14 a.m. McVeigh had always prided himself on perpetrating the worst attack on American soil, insisting that he would be remembered forever for this crime. But just three months later, (laughs) after his death, 
the statement would ring untrue as the 9-11 attacks would be committed, making it the worst attack on American soil to date. I was gonna say, imagine if he lived to see 9-11, he would have been like, that's what I'm fucking talking about, the propaganda, the government, like, you wouldn't have heard the fucking end of it. Although, he would have been fucking corrected as the deadliest attacker. So that's Timothy McVeigh, he's a fucking racist twat. Jesus. And I'm so glad to be done with him, That honestly. was a lot. Jesus Christ. It's a lot of information. I mean, honestly, like... And there's way more information, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was there's... trying to keep it pretty brief. Yeah. And we're, there... like, in an hour and a half. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> an hour and 20. But, yeah, no, definitely, like, a lot, a lot of nature. Of nurture. I keep saying nature. Nurture. He had a shitty childhood. And when we say, like, you know, people had a shitty childhood, sometimes it doesn't include... Uh, sexual assault or sexual abuse or physical abuse but this is still abuse nonetheless yeah he was neglected he was ignored by the people that are fundamentally programmed to love him and take care of him Mm -hmm. from a toddler he was told that he wasn't important he was given the the idealization that he wasn't important that no one cared about him so he's growing up with this mindset of either i'm not I'm, i'm worthless or i'm gonna show you what I'm fucking worth and what yeah. I can do. And unfortunately it, it turned into that. And well, that's fucking, it just, it sucks. I think it's interesting that he just craved to like belong or be part of like a specific type of company. And then for him to go into the military, I think that he realized, Oh shit, I am just as insignificant here as I was out there. Yeah. Because it's not what's around you. It's what's going on inside you. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so he just felt like, well, now that I feel like there's at least a few people that are my peers that recognize me for what I do, there's still always a bigger entity. There's always a bigger fish, right? Yeah. And that bigger fish was the government. And that's, it's like one of those, you know, faceless entities that yeah. you can just be mad at because he can't be mad at his dad or his mom or whoever. He can be mad at that, though, you know? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think he was probably thinking for a long time about like getting back at someone so to speak and he turned it into this giant radical like I'm gonna get back at like the biggest thing that I can get back at and that's why he I think that's why he gravitated towards you know hate groups and stuff like that as Mm -hmm. well because he wanted people to think like him but at the end of the day he was very isolated in his thinking because he grew up much differently than a lot of other people Mm -hmm. especially even people that we talk about in the cases a lot of them have shitty childhoods but very different childhoods than Mm -hmm. him you know that again there's physical abuse sexual abuse things like that and he didn't really he didn't never did anything to meet the mcdonald triad that we know about yeah not really i mean other than blowing shit up yeah i mean you know but i don't think i think wetting the bed is probably a different type of abuse yeah i agree but also it's you know serial well he wasn't but he wasn't a serial offender no he He wasn't a a serial one time yeah well, I think maybe delusional disorder, and I'm saying that very, very lightly because I need to do research on that because mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing it as a mental breakdown topic, mm-hmm. just giving everyone a heads up and a tease that's going to be my next mental breakdown. Yeah, definitely narcissistic personality disorder. Yes. Um, and I would say that there's some some schizotypal thing going on there, um, something on the spectrum, I think. Yes, I because, agree. Yeah, it's it just happened really early. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dang, that was wild. I didn't... <laughs> I, I feel like... I, I don't know. I just feel silly at the end of episodes sometimes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just realized what this case was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. They're in Oklahoma? Yeah, what happened in Oklahoma? really weird. Well, Fuck. I thought when you said Waco, I was like, oh, I know what this is. And then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was good. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my case. 
I know it was a little heavy, especially with the, you know, specific content as it yeah. pertains to war and, you know, this racist douchebag, but it is a part of why he committed some of these crimes. Yeah, it's absolutely. part of the buildup, you know? And, uh, I guess just get used to it, because next week we're bringing you something very similar. Okay, great. <laughs> <So> <laughs> great. That's just funny the way that we think, but... <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do it and this next one it's actually a request as well so that's why oh, okay. i decided to, to research nice. it but we will definitely shout out those during the episodes actually both of my cases next week are requests the mental breakdown and the case oh, nice. are both requests so we're gonna be doing that thank you again louis for becoming a patreon yes. a patron look out for that new episode coming out on the 29th that is for our top our tier not top tier i always say top. i know tier two and tier three patreon members it is an exclusive to y'all we will have an episode release every 29th so every month on the 29th and it's going to be extremely just out there content content that you guys want to listen to but content that is like so strong that we normally wouldn't tackle it on a normal issue of the podcast Yes. So, and with those, you it is completely ad-free and it is content warning-free as well. So, it's spooky. Yes. And just as a teaser, I will go ahead and tease that one as well. I am going to be doing a very bad man that had a partner, a.k.a. his, I think, girlfriend or wife, that assist, assisted him in his <gasps> crimes. So, Ooh. that is a teaser. Mm. Uh, probably closer to the 29th, we will release who we are doing mm-hmm. for the Patreon-only episode, but that's all you get for now. Yeah, check out DiagnosingAKiller.com. There you can find merch, resources, all that good stuff. We will also have links to all of our social media on there as well. That's going to be at Killer on every platform except for Twitter, which is at KillerDiagnosis. You can also find our email on there as well. Make sure to buy some merch. If you guys buy any merch, send us a picture of you guys wearing your merch. I'd yeah. like to see that. And Hashtags. also make sure you get your tickets to the True Crime Paranormal Podcast Festival happening in August. It's only a couple months away. We're so excited about it. And that's going to be in Austin, Texas, August 25th through the 27th. It's going to be a week-long meet and greet with yours truly's us. Weekend long. Ain't no rulies. A oh, weekend long. Ain't no rulies <laughs> when you're drinking trulies. Ain't no laws when you got the claws. Yeah, what do we one? say? Ain't no popo when you're drinking topo. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, come out and see us. Enjoy some trulies with us. <laughs> some popo Some white claws with us. Some white claws only. And, yeah, that's, um... Okay, I'm hungry. I think that's it. Let's go It's eat. late. All right. Love DK y'all. at night. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Featured in Vogue, Forbes, and more, Alarez has the most beautiful and expertly crafted diamond jewelry for that special someone in your life. From engagement rings, pendants, and earrings, you're sure to find the perfect gift that expresses exactly how you feel. Click the link in the show notes to receive $10 off your first order plus free shipping. Alarez, fitting all of your jewelry needs from A to Z.